morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Podcentrics of Pregnancy Pod. I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. And this is episode six of our podcast. Well, today we have a really, really special episode, and we've actually got another Q&A coming your way. It's kind of like a continu- continuation to the episode that was released to you guys last week uh, with uh, two members from Hallowed to Hell. So yeah. do you want to tell us a little bit about the two people that we have on today? Yeah, absolutely. So again, we're super excited to have these two people on, Vera and Charity. Um, so Vera is the community manager of Hallowed to Health, um, and she very much manages a lot of the things that happen in Australia um, in terms to do with what we'll be talking about today. Um, and then we're also super excited and grateful to have Charity on. Super fortunate. Um, and Charity is currently um, a Philippines team member of Hallowed to Health. Um, and she's the pu- uh, public health. Uh, <clears throat> public health. She's the Not project. <laughs> no, she's the project manager of the Philippines team, um, and she also runs some mental health training in schools. So, Vera and Charity, welcome to the podcast. Thank hey you guys. so much for having us. Hi, guys. So, I guess let's let's just start off. Um, first of all, Vera, why don't you tell um, our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you kind of do in your personal time, and and what you do academically? Yeah, no worries. So, hey guys, I'm so excited to be here. My name is Vera, and as Evan has already said, I'm the community manager of Hallow to Health in Australia. So I, yep, very much work with the Australia back end of operations. In terms of my academic background, I'm about to start my first year of dentistry at Melbourne University. And prior to that, I was studying biomedical sciences at Monash Uni. And last year, I actually just finished off an honours year at the Hudson Institute of Medical Research. Uh, in terms of personal time, um, I really enjoy watching movies and TV shows. I know it sounds really boring, and it probably is, um, but I really am that one annoying friend that gets super invested in all the cinematography and the social relevance of anything I watch. Uh, apart from that, I really enjoy taking long walks and Pilates, and I've actually recently taken up the piano again. I stopped taking lessons ages ago in high school when I kind of finished up all my exams. And I do think that that was what drained the passion out of me. But I've gravitated back towards towards it again, um, because right now there's no incentive to play other than just my love for it. And that's Amazing. all about me. Amazing. So I suppose, um, you know, for our listeners, do you have any good Netflix recommendations at the moment? Oh, okay. Netflix recommendations. Watch Bridgerton. Everyone's going to tell me it's a, it's a trashy show, but it's a good one. Bridgerton? Yep. Everyone's been saying that. Yeah, everyone's been saying watch Bridgerton, watch Bridgerton. I don't even know what it's about. (laughs) It's like, it's basically like Pride and Prejudice, but a little bit more scandalous. Isn't it like a modern, like, isn't it kind of modernized considering like the, where it's actually, the the time period that it's actually set in? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard about it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so like it's it's kind of set back in the Regency era, which was back in like the 1800s. So back then it was very like, you know, social boundaries, but it's very modern, a very modern take on that. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Mm. We should get onto that. I know. Stop watching crazy. Get onto it, guys. Stop watching crazy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, and and charity, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, I would really love to use my Australian accent, but I can't. So, um, hello everyone. My name is Charity Banda. I'm a Philippine team member of Hello to Health and currently the project manager of the Philippines team. And then I lead running mental health trainings in schools and essentially manages um, manage everyone on the Hallowed Philippine team. So 
And then while doing that, I'm also a first-year nursing student at our local university here in Mukidnon, which is Central Mindanao University. And then um, when I'm free, I just usually like to drive around town looking at sceneries. There is it's really nothing better. Charity, you already sound like such a wholesome person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then in terms of how to health, how did you actually hear about it? It was actually a surprise because I'm not usually in school most of my days in senior high school because I had to stay at the hospital for most of my days for my treatments because I had cancer. So when I arrived at school on time, they were already there. So I saw Tavira and the whole team and we got to talk about a lot of things. And then it just started there. So I can imagine for yourself and your family, you know, getting a diagnosis of cancer and then having to go through that treatment must have been a really difficult time for you. What made you want to get involved during this time? Yeah, um, I think I saw too, too much at the hospital, I guess. I saw how giving care to these people, like how the nurses, the doctors, and even just uh, normal janitors give care to patients really inspired me to also give that kind of care to other people, you know, in my own capacity. And uh, when I went back to school, there's this opportunity and, you know, I, I, I would really love to do that as well. That is seriously amazing. Like I'm welling up just listening to you. Like, And honestly, Charity, it's, it's people like you that make us want to do this podcast. Yeah. That's, we just love that story. That's, that's amazing. So continuing on now, Vera, being in Australia, how did you hear about Howlet to Health and what made you want to get involved? Uh, yeah, so this is a bit of a long story, um, but my first sort of interaction with Howlet to Health was when I went on my mission trip to the Philippines with Howlet, uh, pretty much exactly one year ago. Plans have changed a lot now. Uh, and this was obviously how I first heard about Howlet to Health. So Eliza, who is the charity's co-founder, and you would have heard about her in the last episode, she posted on Facebook about applications for the mission trip. And I remember personally for me that this post had come at a time when I had hit a bit of a personal roadblock about what I really wanted to get out of life, you know, what my purpose was and what I wanted to contribute to the world, you know, like your everyday existential questions. And I think just looking at that post and just reading all the details about that trip really called out to me. And then actually go on the trip, that really opened my eyes to what social change really looks like. And I think in today's age, we sort of hear that phrase and pretty much every single reiteration of it everywhere. So social change, social impact, be the change in the world that you want to see. But what does that actually mean? And I think actually being able to see how to enforce change in terms of the biggest healthcare issues through reevaluating what the healthcare system looks like in its current state, through changing the face of health education specifically, and in the way that we actually communicate with one another about these sorts of issues, these were massive eye-openers to me. I mean, we can get into more detail about it later on, about what we actually saw and what we did, but I was so inspired by this trip that I decided to stay on with the back-end team and support Hell at the House for its growth. And since then, it's really been crazy and our growth has been astronomical. So did that little existential crisis, I guess, or existential <laughs> come at the end of um, your undergrad degree? Because I feel like that happens quite often. Yeah. People finish their degrees and they kind of panic in a way. And what do I want to do? Yeah, after? absolutely. I, I completely agree with what you're saying there. Um, I think, especially because I was surrounded with lots of people that were moving on to the next chapter of their lives. Everyone was moving either onto a new job or onto a new postgrad degree. And I was still kind of 
stuck in this weird phase of my life. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. It's it's a very it's a very hard time. It's it's uh, finishing finishing any degree and not especially for some people that just don't know what they want to do or did I get the most out of my degree and why hasn't this led me down a direct pathway? Yeah, it's it, it's it can be quite a challenging time. But it's it's nice to see that you actually got involved in something like this and it directed you towards healthcare and well now you're about to start dentistry yeah yeah amazing absolutely so charity or vera open to either one of you guys um did you want to tell us a little bit about um women's health in the philippines so um eliza last week was telling us a bit about uh the rising rates of teenage pregnancy within the philippines so i guess did you want to tell us a little bit about access to sexual education like is it actually taught in schools and how would someone actually access this information? So it is taught in schools and there are mostly existing laws in giving them. We actually have one, the reproductive health bill that we have. And it empowers us, especially women, with knowledge of the things that we don't know. And it gives us control over our body. Now, the Philippines is just a bit struggling on that part because there's a continuing rise of teenage pregnancy here in the Philippines for nine consistent consecutive years now. So our, um, our Commission on Population just cited the latest data from the Philippine Statistics Authority, which revealed that births among girls aged 14 years and below jumped by 7% in 2019. And Filipino minors who gave birth in 2019 increased to 62,510 from 62,341 in 2018. And it's really alarming for everyone. These numbers here in our country are just proof that, you know, we need to have more access to sex education and have proper obstetric care for these young mothers. And um, as I guess aside from schools, people can also go to local health centers for this education. And there's this um, event that we actually had last year and we invited a municipal health officer of a local government here in Bukidnon uh, to one of our, like I said, events. Uh, looking at the dangers of teenage pregnancy last year. And accordingly, local health centers also give reproductive health or RH services to the community. Okay. Um, and I guess just some more kind of information for our listeners. So kind of like the most current research at the moment shows that in the Philippines, one in four uh, pregnancies are teenage births. Um, and, and the Philippines is actually the highest country in terms of teenage teenage births i mean all of these asian countries um yeah. asian being spelled a-s-e-a-n um, and that stands for the association of southeast asian nations so clearly teenage pregnancies is a big problem in the philippines both from the anecdotal evidence that we've heard from eliza being on the show and from what you're telling us charity but also from the literature and I suppose that brings us to the next question, um, access to contraception. So, you know, things like the pill, things like the Mirena or things like the Implanon, is that available to women in the Philippines? And where, where do you get it if it is available? Like, where can women purchase it from? All these things, pill, Mirena and Implanon are readily available in our locality here in Bukidnon. And um, they you can get them on in the local health centers and drugstores. Anyone can buy pills. However, um, education on its use is very important. That's why one needs to, to seek cons 
to seek consult with a healthcare provider first before its use for safety profile and also proper usage. Mirena, Mirena and Implana need trained healthcare provider for insertion. And that's why uh, we have hospitals uh, for this kind of things. And then actually one, um, uh, actually, uh, one of the OBGYN also helped me with the data that I have now. Um, and she's one of the highly sought OBGYN. And everyone can just go to her uh, here in Bukidnon getting this uh, contraceptions. And again, before starting any contraception, it is advisable to seek consult to with a healthcare provider for safety profile and proper usage. Okay. So I guess you've kind of told us now that, you know, contraception... I mean, kind of most of its modalities is freely available um, in the Philippines. And it, it's, it's fairly easy for a woman to go um, and to seek out this contraception. Uh, but, you know, is it judged or is it stigmatized in the community? And, and if so, is it actively discouraged in your community? That's really interesting because it was and still is discouraged by some because Philippines being a big really big Christian country. Most of us are Christians and this topic is usually hot for everyone. Even just passing our productive health bill in the Philippines took almost 14 years to be wow. approved because the church discouraged it so much. You know, however, it is slowly accepted, especially the younger generation as time passed by. And the government now also um, is developing programs for family planning that promotes the usage of you know, contraceptives. And, you know, we can't ever avoid those who truly discourage it. But at least there is a progress in opening ourselves to the idea. And what about um, things like sexually transmitted infections? Um, so when we're talking about STIs, uh, is there much education uh, within the Philippines? More specifically, I guess, if someone was symptomatic for an STI, would they be equipped with the knowledge to recognize the symptoms and actually go and seek some help for that? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I have, I know many people who, who go to healthcare providers for that. And there's actually someone who is equipped enough to be the knowledge to recognize those kind of symptoms. And in smaller communities, is there much of a um, discrepancy between, I guess, people presenting and people not presenting or education or anything surrounding the topic of STIs? Not necessarily. They are very free to bring out their concerns to their GP and the, G to the GP can refer to their friendly OBGYN if they need further ass assessments and management. What about sex and how sex is viewed within the community? So is it openly discussed within the community? I think the world, the word itself is a taboo. Just as mentioned, we're a big, big Christian community. So it's something that's not to be talked about here, especially with our families and sometimes with our friends. And uh, that truly hinders us from giving education to the community. Yeah. Creates a bit of a barrier. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose now, um, so Vera, um, I guess this question is kind of um, directed at you. Is there a difference um, in what you've seen? Um, you know, what you've seen in Australia in terms of women's healthcare and then charity, your lived experience in the Philippines. Um, and I guess, you know, can you provide us with a direct comparison to something that you both did, um, sorry, uh, Vera, that you did um, in Australia and in the Philippines and, and how it was different. So like, for example, um, accessing women's sanitary items. So 
Um, the one thing that I really did notice was that the particular discourse that people in Australia use to talk about women's health and pregnancy, especially when educating students, compared to the way that the subject is handled in the Philippines, is really different. Um, and I guess before this trip, it didn't quite dawn on me how much of a privilege it is to be able to address such topics in such an open manner here in Australia. I mean, like even on an everyday sort of basis, talking about it with my girlfriends, it's such a casual sort of thing. We just talk about it and no one really um, has any boundaries, I guess. And just as Charity had said before, because the Philippines is a really religious, really Christian country, talking about this sort of stuff comes with a certain stigmas and limitations. So things like contraceptives, highly stigmatized and discussion in public is not especially welcome. Uh, whereas here in Australia, we see it as a safety precaution and introduce the concept to students as early as year five. And I especially um, found that this was relevant because part of my trip was actually educating some students about um, basically sex ed. And so uh, contraceptives was not something that we could actually include in our lessons, even though in Australia, it's such a common thing. Yeah, and I suppose here we really do take it for granted because we're introduced to it at so, such an early age. And I think I can def definitely empathise with, you know, say the people in the Philippines. If this, When this is, you know, brought up at such a later age, it's so much harder to, like, assimilate it and to take that knowledge. Mm. You know? um, there's definitely a big kind of divide there. And I yeah. suppose that kind of brings us into our next uh, point, which is really talking a little bit more, Vera, about your volunteering experience. So I guess... What did you learn and what did you see when you were in the Philippines? Yeah, okay. So uh, prior to my trip, I was already aware that the Philippines had a really high number of teenage mothers and this, the cases of teenage pregnancy were rising each year. But I guess getting to actually see the reality of what teenage pregnancy looks like in the Philippines is a whole other story. And even then, I can't really even fully say that I've seen everything because everything I experienced was from an outsider's perspective. So through conversations with healthcare professionals and the students at the schools that we taught at, um, hearing the unfortunate stories about girls who fell pregnant and had to drop out of school, and sometimes very occasionally seeing these teenage mothers at hospitals. But uh, during my mission trip, I had the privilege of being able to be in one of these hospitals, the Bikidon Provincial Hospital specifically. And I was able to witness so many different things, including like a C-section. Um, one of the other student volunteers and I actually got to hold a baby literally as it was being delivered. It was crazy stuff. And being able to cut the umbilical cord and administer the vitamin K and the Hep B vaccine. Definitely not things that I do every day, but very cool. Um, and seeing firsthand what it looks like to have a healthy and safe pregnancy with a baby is expected and born out of love. And then in contrast, actually talking to a lot of the doctors and nurses afterwards about the pressing issue of teen pregnancy and basically how normal and common it was that they'd have pregnant girls of ages of 11, 12, and even 13 come see them. And a memory that specifically remains imprinted in my mind is um, being in the NICU. So just for some context, um, for those who don't know, preterm birth is a really common occurrence with teenage pregnancy. So this is when a baby is born before full term. And what this means is that the baby will often be underweight. Um, sometimes a lot of their body systems will also be heavily underdeveloped, um, which often means that they won't be able to sustain life for very long. So in the NICU, I remember seeing two babies just next to each other, and they were born on the exact same day, exact same day. And the one on the left weighed 2.8 kilograms and the preterm baby on the right was literally just half the size just 1.4 kilograms and that was something that was really difficult for me to digest and seeing this tiny little 
baby, just barely even begun its life, struggling to live. Yeah, look, I mean, that's that's obviously a really sad um, kind of picture that you've painted um, for our listeners. And I suppose just to give it some context as well, you know, premature birth um, just brings with it so many risk factors. So I suppose yeah. the current research kind of shows us that not only um, are preterm, preterm babies that are born early um, have so many things going on with them in terms of organ systems, but in terms of their development later on in life, in terms of their cognitive ability, yeah. um, and even in terms of how they'll end up socioeconomically, all those things are affected by preterm birth. Yeah. So something as simple like memory. Yeah, That's exactly. That's something that we take for granted. Um, and even things like obesity and diabetes are yeah. all linked to preterm birth. So they definitely, um, you know, preterm birth definitely brings with it very chronic, long-standing issues as well that, you know, really propagate into the community. Yeah. Vera, did you want to talk to us a bit about your role uh, within the Philippines and how do you think it impacted on the lives of those that you actually did see and did help? Yeah, 100%. So um, a huge part of our trip was essentially putting together a lesson for high school students addressing reproductive health and teenage pregnancy. I think I think a lot of students in the Philippines at the moment, um, if they're receiving sex ed at, you know, when they're in year eight and there are girls that are having babies when they're in year seven, it's already way too late. So putting together a lesson and actually educating these students was really pivotal and healthcare education comes, uh, becomes really crucial in these sorts of circumstances. Something that we did really have to be aware of was um, that the particular religious and social cultural context of the Philippines meant that we were that there are certain boundaries as to what we could actually speak about to the students. Like we couldn't just go in with a purely liberal sort of perspective. So we obviously had to have some help. Uh, there were a couple amazing educators who teach at the high schools in the Bikidnon region in the Philippines. And they gave us a rundown of how they approach the topic. And we also thought it was really, really important to have a student perspective. So Charity, Charity is actually one of our amazing student helpers who helped us who helped us put together these lessons. And after putting together this material, my team went into two schools. So Valencia National High School and the high school that Charity was attending at the time, CMU Laboratory High School. And we covered a whole range of topics, puberty, health risks of teenage pregnancy, life consequences, and what was probably my favorite, consent and respect, which is definitely rooted strongly into all these topics. And yeah, um, consent and respect is a conversation that I think everyone should have. And I remember when actually giving these lessons, seeing how quickly the students' reactions change. And I mean, if we're talking about reproductive health, I think everyone remembers how embarrassing that is as a student, you just don't want to talk about it. Um, and so were these students that I was teaching. But I think once I actually started getting into the heavier topics, their faces changed so quickly from embarrassment to concern. And the fact that within minutes, a lot of them were actually putting up their hands, answering questions, being actively engaged, and even writing notes. Like I actually had students voluntarily writing notes to, as to what I was teaching. I think that all just showed me how much this conversation needed to be had. And I especially feel that when we're talking about consent. So in every one of my eight classes that I talked to, I had students that looked really empowered, specifically during this part of a lesson. And students at that age are also highly impressionable and the particular way that information is delivered to them is crucial. I think at the end of the day, it isn't really about scaring students into abstinence, um, but really to give them the right information in a really culture sensitive way so that they can make their own decision. Um, and for an issue that is as big as teenage pregnancy, which is rooted within a lot of internal factors, 
change is not going to it's not going to happen overnight. Um, I think it's things like this prevention through education, empowerment that will hopefully cause a turn in attitude, and then hopefully over time we see change. Yeah. Look, what you've been telling us about what both of you do over in the Philippines sounds incredibly incredible, and um, the kind of work that you do, I can only imagine how beneficial that is. Um, not only in a community like the Philippines, but also in a, in a country like Australia. I know we have sex ed really early, but I know there still is a bit of, um, not necessarily stigma, but a bit of a taboo sort of nature towards how early we start our sex ed. And I don't think we actually realise how important it is. Absolutely. I mean, that, that kind of debate still kind of rages on today in Australia. You know, 100%. when is the right age to, to bring it up? And really, I think that's why I kind of, kind of like what you said before, Vera, about the ages that some of these children um, present with, um, you know, to labor wards, you know, 11, 12 and 13. It, it really shows us, you know, in Australia that when we do have sex, sexual education in year five, it, it's an important time to it's, start that it, early. It's perfect timing, especially mm-hmm. with the onset of puberty and the onset of hence the fertility. Yeah. Like I said, you've told us a lot of amazing stories and uh, it's really, really amazing what the work that both of you are doing and the work that Hello to Health is is doing. But what are the benefits personally for you, Vera, um, of volunteering and how has it changed you in general? Uh, yeah, so I guess with volunteering, in a nutshell, you basically become part of a change. I think a lot of people in their youth want to help out. A lot of my friends that I've talked to are always talking about how they want to help out and change the world. Um, it seems like such a huge task. Um, but changing the world really does happen through an infinite number of small steps. I think volunteering is a way that people can give a part of themselves to others and spread their love. Um, it's also a way to continue learning about the world, which is so crucial. Learning about different people of all sorts of walks, forming new relationships, taking on new truths about life, learning new cultures. That's essentially what life is about. Um, and as I mentioned before, that post about the mission, yeah, it came at a time when I was really thinking about what my purpose in life was. I think this trip, in a way, answered that question in many different ways. If I had to summarize it into a single sentiment, um, it would be that it's just to continue giving and sharing um, because, and I directly quote Eliza Lee, co-founder of Hello to Health, when we choose to share our blessings, they don't halve, they continue to multiply. Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good, a really good um, message from Eliza. I definitely am a strong advocate mm. for that as well. Um, so I suppose next we'll, we'll move a little bit into obstetric care in the Philippines um, charity. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what the models of care look like in the Philippines in terms of obstetrics and gynecology? So um, the care of the welfare of women as a whole is available in the Philippines, be it obstetrical and gynecological. A woman can readily visit her OBGYN for consult. And I truly think one of the uh, most highly sought OBGYN here in Bukidnon and also a high-risk pregnancy specialist and perinatologist, Dr. Laura Abelia del Rosario for her services in our community. And she actually helped me, just like what I said earlier, earlier get all this information about obstetric care. Amazing. Big uh, thank you to Dr. Abella Del Rosario. Um, just one more question for you, Charity. Um, so in terms of models of care in the Philippines, how does it work? So like, for example, here in Australia, um, we have the public and private system. So if you wanted to go and see um, an obstetrician here, you would go to your GP first, they would write you a referral letter. And then depending on what system you were going to, you would either go to the public system where it would be free, 
um, or you would go to the private system where you would uh, spend a consultation fee um, and then see the obstetrician. So generally the way it works is with an OBGYN in Australia, if you do go and see a private OBGYN, generally the wait time is a little bit shorter. Mm -hmm. So is there a similar model in the Philippines or is it only a public or only a private system? From what I have observed, it's only just a, if like, if, if you can afford it, you can directly go to the private, but then most of the, um, most of the women here, especially the mo here in uh, the mountains, they usually go to the local health centers, about the public ones, for their to consult. And uh, we actually have these kind of local health centers. But then, you know, um, it's very limited there. People just sometimes don't go to have their to have their care anymore because they don't have enough money for that. Basically, early pregnancy is really dependent on wealth education and where really you're located as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I suppose one of the other things that we kind of wanted to go through are, you know, some of the rates of complications that exist with teenage pregnancies. So I, put, I suppose starting off, so um, this is a fact that, you know, we took from the Philippine Statistic Authority and that was published, um, you know, um, in, the, uh, in 2013. Um, and that showed that one in 10 young women that were aged between 15 and 19 had become had begun childbearing, childbearing in the Philippines. Um, another really important fact I think for our listeners to remember is that early pregnancies depended on a lot of factors, um, but three of them being wealth, education, and where you're from. Um, another kind of thing as well is that you know in the Philippines it's one of the highest Asian countries again, um, and Asian being that that mnemonic that I spoke about before, that abbreviation. And, you know, some of the other countries that make up these member states um, are Indonesia, Cambodia, Thailand, um, and many others as well. Um, so I guess continuing on with that, um, just some other facts about teenage pregnancy. So the younger you are when you give birth, um, the lower the positive birth outcomes for both mum and baby. So for mum, these are things like um, pelvic organ injury. Um, and that really is because of that discrepancy that exists between the pe pelvic outlet um, and the size of baby's head. Um, and then other things like anemia, preeclampsia, um, and something called, called um, postpartum hemorrhage. Yeah. So postpartum hemorrhage is, um, you know, bleeding for following delivery. Um, and that can actually be detrimental in some cases. So it can result in death. Um, and of course, one other thing that we can't forget are the poor mental health outcomes that are associated with teenage pregnancy as well. Um, another thing that we want to say as well is teenage pregnancy, when it does happen, leads to higher dropouts from school. Um, yes. And that then in the future affects that woman's ability to go out and get a job um, and then sustain her family. Yeah. Um, and it also means then that she's more um, dependent on her partner. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, early pregnancy and uh, adolescent pregnancy is positively associated with, I guess, having a greater age gap between themselves and their sexual partners. Um, it can lead to things like, or is more positively associated with things like domestic violences, as well as closely spaced subsequent pregnancies. So once they've had their baby, they're in their first baby as a primate, subsequent pregnancies usually come uh, not necessarily straight after, but in a pretty close succession. Um, so I guess... And, and I guess one more thing to kind of like add on to what you said. So the World, uh, the World Health Organization says that one third of women... Um, who have teenage pregnancies, um, their very first sexual encounter was more likely to be coerced. So I think, again, that really brings into the light that, that need to teach, um, you know, the children of the Philippines the idea of consent 
And, you know, when no means no. And I think that's why it's really important, you know, the work that organizations like Hell Act to Health are doing because, you know, one in three women having their first sexual experience in a coerced Nature. fashion. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting, frankly. It's sad. It's, it's, yeah, it's appalling. And I, I, I hate talking about it because it needs to be talked about, but it's a hard it's just, topic. It's to talk so about. hard. Yeah. Um, so I guess the other thing we wanted to ask either Vera or Charity, the, the question's opened, uh, open to either of you, but how is care really maintained throughout the pregnancy in the Philippines? First, so it is done by proper prenatal care and consult through trained healthcare providers. So luckily in the Philippines, especially in our province, we have many obstetricians to take care of our pregnant, pregnant women. More so, um, we, have, we also have perinatologists to take care of the high-risk mothers. But I guess uh, Ativira can give more context to this as she has you know, experience in the hospital. Uh, yeah, no, Charity, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head, um, mainly through obstetricians. For a lot of teenage girls as well, um, it's very unfortunate how a lot of them actually have to drop out of school. But hopefully, if they can, their family will help them take care of uh, well, the mother while she's going through a pregnancy and then the child later on. Okay, and, and Charity, what are some of the challenges that you face on the ground? We really have this culture and not just here in the Philippines, but I know also to other countries as well that, you know, we create these beliefs and myths without specific uh, scientific evidence that may hinder proper care for women. Okay. And can you give our listeners maybe a hint to one of these beliefs or myths that you've heard? When you get pregnant, you won't like go to school anymore or anything i think that's true but i have a classmate i have uh i know someone i know a lot of people who have really you know really used this kind of obstacle in their life to become better people and i think that's something that uh we should think a lot about more rather than thinking of you know all the negative things yeah so so rather it just be assumed that um teenage pregnancy results in job out from school. There are some people that do push through that obstacle and continue on in their education and continue to pursue, I guess, that uh, career-based pathway for themselves as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just a lot easier to, you know, kind of say where, you know, they can't do it. Um, you it's, know, it's easier it, to assume. It's easier to, to be like, you know, they can't do it. Yeah. Let's just let's just leave it there instead of you know providing them with the help and the support that they need. I think. Yeah. Um, and so, Charity, what struggles do women who are pregnant um, face in the Philippines? Do you think? Uh, there are so many, but one important struggle during, especially this pandemic, may be the fear to seek proper consult when needed, because they either be financially struggling or they can't afford to get sick with COVID-19. And, you know, the former, I think that really applies to even just a normal day without COVID or with COVID. Yeah, right. And, and what do you think you need for it to improve on the ground in the Philippines in terms of obstetric care and gynecological care? For now, we really need proper education and compliance of pregnant women to do good prenatal and antenatal and perinatal care. And hopefully, uh, and thank you to Halid Health also for bringing that here in Kidnan. We're so glad. So, um, Charity, did you want to tell us a little bit about, um, well, tell us if volunteering rates have improved within the Philippines? And if so, 
either way, how does it actually help you? What, what's changed for you? Volunteering is not usually popular here in Bukidnon and I guess in Philippines, at least not as popular, popular there in Australia. For me, though, it has helped me so much in understanding the community we have here. Because when I was not doing this kind of work, I thought everyone knew what an STD was or even the word abstinence. However, in, you know, when I joined Halad, when I volunteered in our August campaign last year, which was called the Open Classrooms, where we talked about mental health, personal hygiene, and reproductive health. I was actually surprised, like, oh my God, that these people, these young people didn't know about it. And that changed my perspective so much in giving education to the youth. And I just saw the importance of not letting them stay in the dark on health topics such as these. Obviously, the last two years, two years or so? About a year. About a year and a year um, have been really significant in terms of this global pad- pandemic being COVID-19. I mean, we're in a lockdown again now for yeah. five days in Melbourne. Yeah. So if you're listening to this after, like well after we've released it. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we're out of it. Hopefully we're out of lockdown. Um, but Charity, has it been, do you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, COVID uh, within the Philippines? So has there been any change to pregnancy care um, and how has COVID affected your work and what you've been able to do in the Philippines as well? Yeah, very significantly. The Philippines being a low to middle resource country, the, it has really significant limitations on its healthcare provision to its citizens, more important, importantly to the indigent community who are unable to afford medical care. So just as I said earlier, they're, they're, they can't afford it. Especially now that when you go, when you want to go to have a check check up, you must have a swab test and everything. And uh, not everyone has just the capacity to have that kind of money. And then you know, the some people are just really afraid uh, afraid of getting COVID nineteen because it's it's really hard in the Philippines. Really, <laughs> in the Philippines, do you have to pay for your COVID test? Yeah. We have to, but um, when the barangay will know that you know you're exposed and everything, uh, you still have to pay, and then you will get the results um, one week or two weeks after. That's significant wow, so delay. that's that's definitely a significant barrier then to uh, to you know obstetric care. Yeah. Okay, um, and Charity, I guess I guess kind of like wrapping this all up now. You know, do you think a podcast like ours, if listened to by the people in your community? Do you think it could change their views or, you know, provide an education that people could access easily? Yeah, most definitely. Aside from you guys being so funny and so cool, um, we actually need more of this so we can reach more people in giving education regarding sexual education. Now that, um, you know, uh, we don't have, we don't get to see the, our teachers anymore and they don't get to give us this kind of education and platforms just like this can really up our knowledge about about sexual education yeah yeah amazing so i guess before we kind of wrap everything up now where can people find you and how do people get involved uh in the philippines you can visit the halad page on facebook and instagram at halad to health ph and at Halad to Health on Twitter. So we're currently on our mental health campaign right now. So um, 
hopefully in the future we can include uh, pregnant women uh, going through mental uh, mental illnesses and taking care of their mental health in the next months and you know people can join our various events regarding mental health and beca- become a, a member of our safe space community that's amazing well guys thank you so much for giving up the time to record this podcast with us we've definitely learned so much and so i think much. our left listeners have as well um again um thank you for the work that you do um and thank you for the way that you know vera and charity are both improving the obstetric space Absolutely welcome. Thank you so much for having us. It's our, it's our pleasure, seriously. Thank you, guys. Um, also, a little bit about a little bit for us. Well, you can find us at Podstetrics on Instagram, Twitter, or you can just look at our LinkedIn. What's the code for the LinkedIn again? Not LinkedIn, Linktree. Linktree, sorry. Um, so it's uh, <laughs> social, social media and IT is not my thing. No, so um, it's Linktree, linktree.com forward slash Podstetrics. Um, and that really provides you with one link where you can access all our social media um, and where we kind of put all of our podcasts. So at the moment, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Castbox. Castbox, yeah. Um, and, Thanks, Evan. <laughs> and why don't you tell us um, a little bit about, about where people can find Hella to Health one more time? So they can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hallad to Health PH. And on Twitter, they can find us at Hallad to Health. Then uh, for the Australian team at the Vera. Just search us on Google. You'll find us. You'll find us. <laughs> we also have a Facebook as well. <laughs> it's an easy way to do things. Well, thank you guys right. so much for coming on and thank you to our Podcetrics listener, listeners for joining in for another episode. Uh, I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. And stay safe, guys. And look after yourself.